My name's Eric. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. Uh, today, we continue through the Gospel of Luke. In fact, if you need a Bible this morning, uh, there is someone coming, I hope, who has one. You could raise your hand if you'd like one. Uh, we're going through the Gospel of Luke, verse by verse, line by line. It's all this beautiful unfolding story of the person of Jesus and his birth and his life and his teachings and his ways. Um, also his death and resurrection and ascension. And none of, none of it is random. None of, these aren't like random tidbits about Jesus uh, that are thrown together. Uh, Luke, the, the writer of this gospel, uh, goes to great lengths to, I just realized I used the word tidbits and I'll never do that again. Um, <laughs> Luke is giving us what he describes as an orderly account. He says this very early on in his gospel that he's giving us an orderly account about the life and the ministry of Jesus. And so last week, um, I want to bring us back to what we learned last week. Last week, we were in the Lord's Prayer. Hope you remember that. If you weren't here, you can listen to it on the podcast. But uh, Adam, our senior pastor, showed us five different convictions that we get from this prayer that many of us have prayed many, many times in our lives. And it was the fifth conviction that actually struck me personally. Maybe you remember it. Uh, the end of the prayer, uh, Jesus, as he's teaching his disciples to pray, he says, lead us not into temptation. Now, some of the, some of the other gospels um, add this phrase, uh, deliver us from evil. And so we looked at this conviction that we're spiritually defenseless without Jesus. And that is a profound truth. And that truth is the perfect thing to lead us into the passage that we'll look at today. This idea that there's a spiritual battle that is happening. And much of our life is lived without awareness to that. And so Jesus, in the word today, will... Um, force us to see that. And it's going to be great. So uh, what I want to do is I'll give you three things. Um, Adam and Guy are gone in Egypt, but you still get a three-point sermon. And uh, I, I tried to do five. It didn't happen. Okay, this is it. Please write this down and consider this. Jesus is at war with the evil one. And we'll see that Jesus is stronger than the evil one. And we'll see finally that only Jesus can truly defeat the evil one. So will you look with me? Uh, Luke 11, starting in verse 14, all the way to 28. This is God's word. Now he, this Jesus, now Jesus was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke and the people marveled. But some of them said, he casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges." But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when, but when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, 
He takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Welcome to River West. We actually believe this stuff. (laughs) It's true. There's a brilliant New Testament scholar named Tom Wright, and he has written extensively about the Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in one of his writings, he talks about how the, the various Gospel accounts bring to us, bring to the reader different aspects, different dimensions, different themes about the life of Jesus. And so you'll see different themes like the story of Israel being fulfilled. You'll see the theme of, of personal salvation You'll see um, the theme of forgiveness of sin. You'll often see in in, in the Gospels the theme of Jesus' life as an example. You'll see, um, particularly in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is the suffering servant. And Luke, in his his contribution, in his Gospel, he is often bringing his readers into this reality of Jesus at war with the evil one. He brings it up regularly, constantly reminding his reader that this is happening. Now, what N.T. Wright does in in his writings is he says, um, you want to think of these Gospels like you would uh, a surround sound system. Okay, so just go there. We're in a room. Go there with me. There's speakers obviously up here and there. But imagine uh, speakers that were placed all around the room, creating um, surround sound. And so, and what he says is when you do that, if you've ever installed a surround sound, you know that you need to tune each speaker properly. You know that the speakers need to be balanced in their volume. And you know that if, if one is not, um, if one is not working, if it's unplugged, if it's distorted, then the whole picture loses some of its power. And, and, and he's saying that the gospel's kind of like that. I like to think of it as as a guitar. I play the guitar. The guitar I play has six strings on it. Now, each string is different. It's different sonically. It's different uh, tonally. But when the strings are properly tuned, when, uh, when the guitar is set up right, and when it's artfully and accurately played, all these strings work together to create a sweet and beautiful sound. Now, I've played guitar in front of people for a long time, and uh, several times I have broken a string in front of people. Very rarely, because I'm a pro, but it's happened a lot, actually. But when that, when that happens, it's not like the whole thing is broken. It's not like the, it's not like the guitar is useless, but, but you can tell if you listen closely that there's something important that's missing. Something that 
that needs to be heard. And I think what Wright is doing in his illustration, which I think is brilliant, is reminding us there's, there's aspects of the gospel that we have to keep at our forefront. Perhaps aspects of the gospels that in our minds are, are just turned down a little bit. And I think, no, I know that in our day and age and in our time and in this place, this, this aspect, this truth of the gospel that God is at war with the evil one is very often turned down in our lives. Are you with me? And so what Luke is going to do with us today is he's going to turn it up so that we can hear it and so that we can see great truths about who Jesus is. This will not be a 12-step you know, analysis of how to um, exercise demons. Okay, so I'm just going to tell you, next week Chris is going to do that. It's going to be awesome. It's It's going to be brilliant. Okay. But that's our first, our first point. Our first, uh, the first thing we see about Jesus tonight is that he is at war with the evil one. And listen to me, this has always been so. Okay, so our, the, the story of the scriptures begins in the book of Genesis. And in Genesis, we see the good creator God out of an overflow of his loving kindness and goodness creates all that is. And the high point of his creation is people, people that are created to worship him, people that are created to rule with him in this world. And you know how the story goes. Rebellion and sin enters our world and everything changes. And you know that story. But, but, but some of us know that actually behind the sin and rebellion of Adam and Eve, there's a, something standing behind that. And to be more specific, there's someone standing behind that. And it's the serpent. The serpent comes and he tempts and he lies and he distorts in an attempt to divide these people from their maker and from each other. And wouldn't you know that it works? And so God comes and he steps into the scene and he speaks. He speaks to the man. He speaks to the woman. They are um, they are not off the hook. They're complicit for what, for what they've done. They're held accountable for what they're done. But he speaks these words to the serpent. And I think it's worth us seeing them today. It's in Genesis 3, verses 15. You don't have to turn there. We'll put it on the screen. He says, I, he says this to the serpent. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, this is referred to often as, as the first, uh, the first uh, prophecy of the gospel. So, spoiler alert, Jesus is the offspring that would come and step on the head of the evil one. And when we are reading and looking at the gospel of Luke, Jesus is doing that for us. Maybe you remember when we were looking in Luke chapter 4, Jesus at the beginning of his, of his ministry is um, led by the Holy Spirit out into the wilderness. Why? To be tempted by the devil. To be tempted by the evil one. And he passes the test. It's, it's kind of this reenactment of the garden. And Jesus is the one who withstands. He's completely devoted to his father. He is filled with the Holy Spirit. He is obedient And he is completely committed to his mission. And he proves that in that moment. 
In Luke 10, Jesus sends out his own disciples to do his work. This is, we saw this a few weeks ago. Jesus sends his own disciples out and they are casting out demons in his name. And Jesus responds in this way when they come back. He says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Because Jesus is at war with the evil one. And we see it in our passage. But not everyone sees it this way. Not everyone sees what Jesus is doing as an act of war against the devil. And I'll show you that right now. In verse 15, after Jesus has, has cast this demon out of a man, a demon that was keeping a man from being able to speak, this is how people began to respond to him. Some of them said, he casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. While others said, while others to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges." So not everybody sees what Jesus is doing. Not everybody is aware of what he's doing. Now I want to bring a, a, a thought to us. Um, we are afforded something that the people in the gospel accounts simply are not afforded. Time and distance. Okay, so not being there in these moments and, and, and being far removed and, and maybe even being in a culture that sort of scoffs at the ideas of, of things like this. Um, we are afforded the opportunity to sort of look and be like, no, nah, I, I don't think that happens. But one thing you'll notice in the gospel accounts is that people are not arguing if Jesus did miraculous things. They're arguing how and why. He did these things. Are you with me? They're not saying, oh, I wonder if that happened. They're like, no, that happened. And we need to figure out an explanation for it. In fact, the gospel accounts are not the only accounts of Jesus in his, in his life and, and the deeds that he did. There's a first century, there was, a first century historian named Josephus, not a Christian, who would write and say things about Jesus, essentially saying, yeah, he really did that. Josephus describes Jesus in one of his works as a doer of wonderful things. I'll translate that for you. Jesus did miracles. Jesus cast demons out of people. And everyone knew it. So why tell you this? Well, in our post-Christian culture, which is just ruled by cynicism and, and ridicule, and we, we kind of throw the idea of demons to, like, the horror filmmakers, you know what I mean? It's like, you just kind of, like, do this stuff, but we don't really believe in it. When, when we do that, we, we are missing something that is true according to the scriptures. We have a different perspective than the people who saw what Jesus did because they couldn't explain it away. Like, this happened, and we need, to, we need to figure out why. So in an attempt to explain the origin of Jesus' power, some people said he's actually getting his power from Beelzebul. Uh, Beelzebul literally means Lord of the Flies. You can write that down, that's for free. And uh, it was a, a bit of a nickname for 
Satan, the prince of demons. So what they're saying is, just, 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 they'll just say it out loud and you'll, and you'll get the, the faultiness in it. They're saying, Jesus is using Satan to drive out Satan's demons. And Jesus responds. He knows their thoughts and he responds with the utmost clarity. That's so stupid. I don't know the tone of his voice, but I like to think of him doing it that way. It's probably nicer. Jesus is saying, that's ludicrous. Because Satan and I are engaged in a war with each other. So the idea that Satan would engage in civil war while I'm here trying to step on his head is ludicrous. And Jesus says this to them. And, and, and I think it's really important that he says that. Do you believe that Jesus is at war with the evil one? Do you believe that behind the sin and brokenness and evil in our world stands a spiritual being? Do you actually believe that? Let me just, I'll bring it home for us. I wonder... I wonder what our relationships would be like if we believed that. Our relationships with, with a roommate or, or with a spouse or, or with our children or with our extended family, co-workers, people in our community group. What if that just this awareness that Jesus is in a battle against the evil one, what if we brought that to our minds how would that change the inevitable conflicts that we often feel and experience? I will illustrate personally and embarrassingly. Okay, so I have a friend whose name is Daniel, and he has spoken into my life in many ways for a lot of years. And in particular, I have given him permission to speak into my marriage. And, uh, and we do this often uh, running together. So running in, in Tryon right over here. It's my favorite place in the world to run. We'll run there together. And inevitably in, during the run, he'll ask, how are you? And, and how are you doing as a husband? And one particular time he asked and the answer, the honest answer was, I'm not really killing it as a husband right now. And he said, tell me about that. I said, well, my... my Amory and I, we love each other. We're deeply committed. Um, I'm just, I'm not doing a great job of, of listening to her right now. I'm not doing a great job of empathizing with her and, and, and letting her speak and just, and just being who she needs right now. And so, you know, we're, we're trudging through, um, through the trails. And uh, it's one of those perfect October days, kind of like Thursday this week, you know, when it's unusually warm it's those days, this is the only reason we stay here is because every once in a while you get one of those. And, and it was one of those days. It was so beautiful. And, uh, and I remember he told me a couple things. They're both important. The first one is he said, you suck. <laughs> I was like, yeah, got it. And the second one, which in that moment was actually um, of greater value to me. He said this, he said, he said, the devil is completely committed to causing division in your life and in your marriage. He won't stop. And I'm going to pray right now that even, even though this isn't a colossal event that's happening right now, I'm just going to pray that Jesus would step on his head. 
When he did that, when he said that, the, the how do I say, the, the atmosphere of my heart changed. And, and I began to see things as they actually are. So what happens in your life when, when you experience conflict and even inner turmoil? Are you ever prone to say, you know what, there's, there's an evil one seeking to divide my mind or seeking to divide my relationships? I promise you, I promise you that is not a trick. It's the truth. And when you speak that, when you become aware of that, God can heal relationships. I think that's why the Apostle Paul says it this way in Ephesians chapter 6. He says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly places. Friends, Jesus is at war with the evil one. And the second truth is of equal, if not greater importance, Jesus is actually stronger than the evil one. I'll let that sit. I'm going to drink some water. Jesus is stronger than the evil one. Despite what you see or what you've heard, it's not a stalemate that we're witnessing. Jesus is actually stronger. And he goes to lengths to tell us this in our passage. I want to read to you a little bit more. This is um, in verse 20 of chapter 11. After Jesus has kind of just blown up this, this, this idea that he would use Satan's power to fight Satan, he says this in verse 20. If it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are safe, but when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. So in this mini parable, Jesus gives us a couple of these mini parables within this story. Jesus is telling you that he is the stronger man. And he describes the devil as a strong man. He actually gives him that title. Satan has actual power. It's important that you believe that. But Jesus is stronger. And Satan, and he gives this parable, he describes Satan as like a strong man who's guarding his goods in his palace. Do you know what the goods are that he's guarding? People. It's not abstract things. It's not just like wealth or money. His, what he's guarding is people. These are hard sayings from Jesus. There's no way around it. But Jesus, I believe, is telling us that Satan possesses many people in many ways. Sometimes it's like this man in our story. Sometimes it's, it's the man, he, he's so overcome and overwhelmed and possessed by evil that he can't speak. And we've read other stories in, in the gospel of, 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 of like the, the young kid and he's like foaming at the mouth. And, and sometimes it happens in that way. But, but listen to me, Satan is just as happy to seek to further his kingdom through things like systemic racism, pornography, greed, cynicism, whatever seemingly normal or abnormal 
natural or supernatural means possible. He is just as happy to possess lives in those ways. I know, it's super intense, right? And apart from Jesus, the stronger man, his goods are safe. That's what Jesus is telling us. Apart from me, Satan actually, he has this power. And somebody stronger than him needs to step in. And he says, that is what I'm doing. And, he, and the way he talks about it is, is really interesting. Did you notice the phrase? He gives it to us in, in um, I believe it's in the beginning of uh, verse 20. He, he says, if it is by the finger of God. Now, that phrase the finger of God is an incredibly rare, rarely used phrase in the Hebrew scriptures. It's used a couple of times, but um, significantly used in the book of Exodus. So we're going to turn to Exodus chapter 8 this morning, and, and we'll find ourselves in a, another battle. Uh, this battle is, is uh, actually between Moses and Aaron against uh, Pharaoh and his magicians. Okay, this is going to get weird. So just go there with me. But what's happening is this is the beginning of the plagues uh, that, that God uses to, um, to redeem and to rescue his people from Egypt. Now, one of the things that's happening in this showdown between Moses and Aaron doing miraculous things is that Pharaoh's got some guys and they're doing miraculous things too. It's bizarre. So the first plague is uh, Moses and Aaron, they are able to turn the water in the Nile to blood. But then wouldn't you know, the magicians of Pharaoh can do the same thing. And then the second plague, Moses and Aaron are able to send frogs into, uh, into the land and the magicians are able to do the same thing. Now, the third plague, something interesting happens. In the third plague, Moses and Aaron, Aaron send gnats, like with a G, into the land. And something happens. I want to read this to you in verse 18 of chapter 8 in, in Exodus. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. Brilliant. Jesus is saying, you're seeing something that's unique right now. What you're seeing me do is different. It's different than what you've, the kind of power you've seen in the world. What you're seeing right now is the finger of God at work and displayed in my life right in front of you. So what's happening is Jesus is saying, if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So Jesus is saying, what you're seeing right now is the king, the stronger one. I'm stronger than the power that possessed this man. And I'm showing you that right now. Jesus is saying, that's what's true about me. Now, how did we pray last week? Your kingdom come. Friends, when you pray, your kingdom come, it has. The kingdom has come in Jesus. 
It is advancing in Jesus. And yes, one day it will come in fullness and we'll see the power and reign of Jesus on the earth. And we long for that day. But remember this. Jesus is telling his disciples, whoever's listening, he's saying, when you pray, your kingdom come, the king is standing in front of you. Wherever Jesus is, the kingdom of God is. Jesus comes and it is in his life that he's, he's stepping on the head of the serpent. The, uh, the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is, is, I think this is one of the ways that I like to think about it. Um, all those events culminating, culminating on the cross was to Satan what D-Day was for the Nazi regime. Are you with me? Jesus is saying that the, the reason demons are shuddering when I step into the room is because they know that their defeat is imminent. When Allied troops invaded the beaches of France, it became known that the war would end and that victory was coming soon. And Jesus is telling us victory's coming. He's standing in front of you. So I ask you this morning, do you believe that? Do you believe that about Jesus, is that speaker, that gospel truth, is it turned up in your mind and in your heart and in the way that you see the world? Do you see things the way Jesus does? I hope we will. I hope as a community we will grow to see that Jesus is stronger than the evil one. And here's the final truth about Jesus. Only Jesus can truly defeat the evil one. Which sounds kind of like the point I just made. But Jesus knew their hearts. He knew their thoughts in our passage. And I think he knows our thoughts as well. Because you may be thinking, really there's a lot of ways to deal with evil. And let's, let's extend it past like the demonic for just, let's broaden it a little bit. Jesus knows that there's a lot of ways to deal with problems. He knows there's a lot of methods. And he admits that to some degree, yeah, that works. It was one of the striking things about this, about this passage is that there's something you need to know about Jesus in his life. Is Jesus is not the only would-be Messiah walking around. Jesus is not the only uh, itinerant rabbi who's, who's, who's drawing a crowd. Jesus is not the only miracle worker in first century Palestine, and Jesus is not the only one driving out demons from people. This, this is what really struck me, is that when, when they accused Jesus, I don't know if you noticed this in verse 19, when they accused Jesus of driving out demons by Beelzebul, part of his response is, well, I don't, how do you guys do it? I mean, seriously, that's what he says. He's like, well, when you guys do it, what, are, what kind of power are you getting? Now, writers like Josephus, um, in their historical accounts of, of this era, will tell you that that the religious leaders in Jerusalem were able to drive out demons from people. 
So I don't know, I don't know what to do with that, but it's just something to sit with for a minute. Jesus is like, yeah, you guys do it. How do you guys do it? But there's something deeper that Jesus wants to show us. Jesus knows that it's not so either or. Jesus, Jesus knows that there are ways to deal with things. And so he says, yeah, the, you, the religious leaders, you have power. You, you, I've seen you drive some demons out. Remember in Exodus 8, the magicians, they're like head to head with Moses. They're able to do things. But Jesus truly knows their limits. Jesus knows the limits of our human efforts apart from him to drive out evil in our lives. He knows it. He knows that he is the only one that can truly defeat evil. So we have to look at this this last passage here. It's complex. It's amazing. It's interesting. I'm just going to read it to you. After Jesus describes himself as a stronger man, in verse 23, he says this, Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, and finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits, more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. Welcome to church. If you invited your neighbor, sorry, this is what we do. But just just think about that for a second. This is what I believe. This is a complex passage. This is what I believe Jesus is saying. He's saying, when I cast out a demon from someone, I am the stronger one and I defeat the evil one. And I think what he's doing in these verses we just read is he's saying, when, when you attempt to root out evil apart from me, you scatter evil. It's like sweeping the dust out of your house. And for a moment or a week or a year, it appears that things are in order and clean and well kept, but then it comes back. And so Jesus says, you cast out a demon apart from me, and it goes out, but then it comes back with seven other demons. And what he is saying is, then your worse you're worse off than the man who couldn't speak because he was possessed by one demon. That's Jesus. That's who he is. That's what he does. And he is committed to showing you and I the futility in our attempts to root out evil apart from him. Are you with me? He's saying, well, here's what I think he's saying. Here's what he's saying in a community like ours where many lives look well kept and many houses are clean and big and sparkling. And we put off the appearance that there's, there's really a lot of ways to deal with the problems in the world and look what we've done. And Jesus is saying, 
if you haven't let me take up residency in your heart, then you're worse off than this person who I just cast a demon out. The state that he was in is better than your futile attempts for goodness in your life. And everything in me, like even as I'm preparing this this week, everything in me was like, oh, I don't want it to be that harsh. But it is. It, it literally, it is that. Jesus is relentless in his pursuit of your heart and your mind. He will not stop until you see, until we see that there is an evil one who's at work in this world and that he and only he can crush him. Amen? Only he can do this. And he is doing us a great kindness by bringing that reality to our minds. He's telling us how it is. Here's what he's saying. Something is going to possess your life. Every one of us. Something will possess your life. You don't like that word, do you? I don't like that word. I don't like that word. What do you mean possession? Jesus says something's going to possess your life. And he gives us two options. But what is he telling us? He's saying, let me possess your heart. Let me take over your life because I'm good. I'll set you free. I'll bring freedom into your life. I'll restore you. I'll renew you. I'll do my reconciliation work in you in the way that you relate to God. I'll do the work of reconciliation in your relationships. I'll bring you into a new family. But listen to Jesus today. There is only one way to live, to truly live. And that's when he has possessed us. Is your, is your mind divided today? Did you notice the word division all over this passage? Maybe your mind is divided. Jesus has the answer for you. He says, devote yourself to me. Remember the weird thing at the end of this passage? Did you, like, I, it's, I, I'll just read it to you again. After Jesus says all these things, somebody shouts this out. Never shout this during a sermon. Just, okay. And as he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. This woman calls out, she's like, Your mom must have been amazing. Shout out to the moms, right? But, but Jesus says, You know who's really blessed? is someone who has let me take a hold of their life. Someone is really blessed when they've given themselves over to me. That's when you're blessed. And that's Jesus' words to us today. Three things that I want to leave you with, okay? There's three environments that I, I really believe we need, we desperately need to be aware of that they are a battleground. Three things. We talked about this already. Your relationships are a battleground. What would it be like if in your relationships, uniquely, I think, with, with, with the followers of Jesus in your life, what if you began to see yourselves more than anything 
as allies. More than anything, this, this person that I'm, that I'm married to or, or my roommate or these, these friends that I hang out with all the time or, or these co-workers, we're, we're actually united in Christ as allies. Jesus is at war against the evil one and he says, I'm gathering. That's the work I'm doing. I'm gathering people into my kingdom. Does anybody want to join? The opposite is just to scatter problems out. Oh, we, we, we kicked out some problems here and there. Jesus says, what I'm doing is saving souls. I'm gathering a community for myself. What if you viewed the, the people in your life, particularly even some of the people that, where the conflict arises, and you said, you know, we're in this together, actually. So relationships, number one. Number two, the second environment is, is this environment. When we come and gather together as the worshiping community of Jesus, our worship is an act of war. Okay? Our worship is us seeing Jesus as he is. In this battle against evil and we, with our hands held high, singing his praises or saying, we're, we're with Jesus. Okay? Our worship is a battle. And the third is this. And I'm going to invite our team up to, um, to, to lead us in worship. But the third environment is prayer. And that's what we're going to do today. In the time that we have, we're going to pray together.